This passage we dealt with, I believe it was the year before last, in going through Romans. And we dealt with some of these issues that are in this passage. I kind of hesitate to point out that this is probably one of the most debated passages in the Bible by theologians, believers in Jesus Christ. And it has gone back and forth between different positions. For instance, when I was in Bible college, I was single. Katie was also single at the time. And we were on separate parts of the campus. And I don't know how it was for the girls' side of our campus, but on the guys' side, there was usually in the dormitory, they weren't fights, but there was discussions that would go on in the halls that guys would gather around and argue over this passage. In terms of predestination, that word pops up here. We're not going to get into that, really. Other than the fact that what it means, destination means, okay, where is your destination? So you look at the airline ticket. Oh, yeah, we're going to land in L.A., and then we go on to Seattle. Destination means where are you going? Where are you going to end up? Pre-destination means that you or someone ordered the ticket for you and gave you a ticket for Tokyo, L.A., and Seattle. It's all predestined. But if you put that in the context of our faith, how do we know we are really saved and we're going to heaven? And some people say, well, God chose you and you are going to be in heaven. And so no matter really what you do with your life, you are destined, predetermined to go to heaven. On the other hand, there's those that say, no, salvation does not work that way. It works by the fact that by receiving the gospel, you are saved and you walk in his way and you become then like Christ, and you become a dedicated Christian, or at some point in your life, there may come some teaching or some different path that you want to go down on your own, and you end up living an ungodly life. You turn your back on Jesus Christ, and you don't follow him all the way through. And so there's kind of a tension between well, is it really my faith that saves me? Or is it my faith in Jesus Christ? And by the fact that he prepared Jesus Christ to come thousands of years ago to die for us, become the Lamb of God, so that we can enter into heaven on his merit, on his death for us, his blood, which, by the way, we're going to be celebrating communion. And communion means the bread and the grape juice represents 
the body of Jesus Christ and his dying for us, shedding his blood, and by his blood we are healed, we are made clean. But what happens if I turn away from that? Am I forever saved at that moment? regardless of how I lived as a Christian or a non-Christian. So there's just a lot of these questions. And so you know what? I wasn't really a Neshina seminary student. I thought, guys, I'm going to bed. You can stay in the hall, stand in the hall, but please don't raise your voices and wake me up. I have a test tomorrow, and you do too, and we can't afford to stand in the hall and argue with one another about whether you're really saved or you're perhaps you never know whether you're saved. Just keep it down, okay, so I can sleep, and I'll do well on my test, and I'll be in the higher percentile because you've wasted your time tonight arguing. So I really wasn't that kind of a student. However, there were quite a few on my floor, my dormitory floor. It was a four-story building that they were going to be the newest theologians of the day. And there were some smart guys. But I think it comes down to the simple word that Paul says here. I am convinced and I trust that this will be a deeper conviction that you have that we are followers of Jesus Christ and our eyes are on him. This is not theological. This is the truth as we see it in the Bible. And I trust it will be an assurance for us. Father, we just pray that you would Allow us to see new things out of your law, your truth, so that we might go away from here this morning convinced, convinced I am following Jesus Christ with all my heart, with all that is in me, and the Holy Spirit and his word that has been given to me to enter in to all that God has for me. Bless your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kent, for uh, reading that extra introduction. And that's what I just covered, wasn't it? I don't know. But anyway, if you understood that, here's my outline. Simple outline. I've chosen some words here out of the text. We know. The second point is, he foreknew. And the third point is, I am convinced the result of Paul's conclusion here. Let's look at this. I've tweaked the word of God. I hope I got all the words, but I highlighted areas so that we can more easily take this passage apart. And so our focus right now is on, and we know. That is very, very important for us. That is one of the reasons why we gather together as believers to encourage one another, to stimulate one another, that we know. And we want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear some fuzzy stuff. We want to know that God 
causes all things to work for good. For good. What is going on in this world today? It doesn't seem to be good. But it says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Does that mean just for salvation? Does it mean just this little slice of time, 30 or 50 years after Jesus Christ hung on the cross and was resurrected from the dead? Or do we know by reading this that God causes all things to work together for good? For the salvation of many, many people. And you know, there are more people living on this planet than have ever lived. What an opportunity for the church. And in the midst of this death-threatening pandemic, this word is relevant. Why do we wear these masks? We don't want you to die, and I don't want to die. And we follow the statistics, and they come out almost every day of who died or who got it. So we are in very tenuous and difficult days. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To who? To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Those are strong statements. And I believe that they are statements that can be held with confidence so that we not throw our faith aside. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Does God know who I am? Does God know my heart? Does God know what is ahead of me tomorrow or the next few years? That is a God that we understand from the Bible. Yes, he knows the beginning to the end of all things. That's why he is God Almighty. He knows everything. For those whom he foreknew, in other words, does he know everybody in this room or everyone in this Zoom room? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. In fact, he knows everyone, the millions of people that are on the earth today. He knows every single soul. We know that from reading scripture and from Paul's statement. He also predestined what? He predestined that we become conformed to the image of his son. That is God's goal for us and for every man, woman, and child. I truly believe that. But are they going to be conformed? He knows those whom he foreknew, so he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And so... For those whom he foreknew, he knows everyone from before they were born until they are dead and after. God knows that. 
because he's the all-knowing God. But that's not what this means. What it means is he has prepared salvation for everyone who hears, believes, and receives and makes that time in your life when you come to that point and you realize, you realize you don't know the Savior of this world. And he has brought his message. I believe he is a just God and he has brought his message. Whether you've ever had a Bible in your hand or not, just by looking at creation, Paul says, just by looking around, you know it wasn't just chance. You know it wasn't just man's great being and declarations and government and all the things that help us live. But he's predestined for those whom he foreknew. He also knows. And that's what that predestined means. He knows whether you've got a ticket or not. And he knows he'll be sitting at the other end waiting for you to come and arrive. But for some, they haven't bought the right ticket or they haven't really set their life in a way in which to follow toward salvation where they know that they are a sinner and they need a savior. And these whom he predestined, he also called. I believe that. And I don't know how he does it, particularly to people that are in some situation that they never heard the gospel. But there is a conviction in the heart of a man. There is some being that is higher than me. There must be a way out of the dilemma that we're in. And these he predestined, he also called. And one of the things that is very important to me is that I want as many people as possible to be able to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and who he is. That they need him. Not because I said so, but because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes to them in the word of God that they are in need of a Savior. And these whom he called he also justified. The death of Jesus Christ has already been made. Salvation has already been accomplished for every man, woman, and child. And what a shame. What a shame. If you hear the calling and you don't respond. And you say, no, I don't want to go there. And then secondly, those who have received and these whom he justified, he also glorified. And they become the sons and daughters of God. That's the process. That is the way it works as Paul sees it. And as I believe it should be, Knowing is very, very important. And knowing is, in the Bible, over a thousand times, 
It says, no, no, no. Or to acknowledge, which has the word no in it, acknowledgement. And God brings that information to us. And that's why we send out missionaries. That's why we go to the other nations of the world. That's why we go to our neighbors. Because we don't want to see them eternally damned without a savior. We desire for them to be saved. And glorified means eternally with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. And what is beyond for us, it has not entered into any minds what we will be. But we know because of his word, because of what he says, justified. Jesus Christ stood in my place. I could not fulfill all of the law. I am a sinner without help, so I need a savior. That is the position of every man, woman, and child. But there is a promise for those who believe in Jesus Christ that they will be glorified. And what then shall we say to these things? And here Paul has a lot of questions for us to consider. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's the promise that is given in the gospel, that we will receive life. And along with that eternal life, we do not really understand what heaven's going to be like. But I can hardly wait to get there and see what it's all about. For who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is the one who condemns. So we don't go around pointing our fingers at people, you're not really a Christian. We don't know. We're condemning people before we know. God is the one who justifies, not me, not us, and not even the church. And that's the weakness of the church through the ages, is that Christians have picked each other apart. But that's not what God's desire is. It's God who justifies. He knows the hearts of every person. He knows what you have done. He knows what your hope is. He knows you before you were even born. He knows your destiny. Mankind cannot condemn us. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather was raised from the dead. I read that into there. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. What is Jesus doing right now? He's sitting on the throne of God interceding, meaning that his life that was given on the cross is good enough for the very first Christians to the very last Christian. 
It covers all generations and all peoples if they would only come and respond to that salvation. In verse 35, who will separate us from the love of God? There are things that come against us that we wonder, am I really saved? Many times myself, I've wondered, am I really a Christian? Or am I just thinking that God has paid for my sin through his son, dying, being buried, and resurrected? So who could really be us, each one of us? We could be, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul brings this reassurance to us. Will tribulation, well, it might wear us down. Or distress, worry can kill you. Or persecution, no, I want to stand for our Lord Jesus Christ and for the truth. Will famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Just as it is written, and this is a very important statement. We have the word of God available to us in our day in versions and forms of the scripture. You can't count what has been written and rewritten and republished throughout the ages. Just as it is written. It says, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long, and we are considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. And in the midst of that, but it is in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And that is the assurance that we have these days. But in all these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, maybe even add more to that. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And then here is the closing of this passage. For Paul says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor weight, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? That list might not be comprehensive. But I think what Paul is really saying is, I am convinced that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of the criminal, the outlaw, who hung on each side of Jesus Christ. They were the true criminals. They crucified Jesus Christ on the basis of what they interpreted in Scripture. And lo and behold, he was the Lamb of God. And they sacrificed him on the cross. And these two guys on either side, talking back and forth across Jesus, and the one said, 
curse God and die. And the other said, uh, remember me when you come before the Father. He believed. He knew he was judged and condemned. He was going to die. And he had an opportunity. Was his life predestined to become eternal life? Right at the last minute, yes. Incredible. Incredible. God's salvation. We don't know anything about that man. We do know one thing. We'll be able to walk up to him in heaven. Could you just share with our little group here? How was it your, you, you thought that this man, the one that hanging in the middle, that he could save you? And the man might say, well, you know, at that point, Ron, I, I, I really don't know, but something, someone was reaching into my heart. And I just kind of weighed the situation. The guy on the other side was just cursing, and he was going to do his own way and go in his own way. He did. But I believed because I knew you were innocent and I was guilty. Because something made sense that you were dying for the whole world. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's the mercy of God. That's what God is desiring of us all. And I've asked Katie if she would come and share a poem that she wrote which I think is relevant to this situation and would bring a closing to this message that's very hard to give, but it is, in fact, salvation. Katie, would you do that? People take the verse, I know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, and they take that verse and want to make it say, everything's going to be okay all the time because God does that. But it goes on to say that he predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son, to those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is that we be conformed to the image of his son. That is the good that he is working out no matter what happens to us. It's not that we're going to get everything we want. Everything's going to be fine. It's he is at work no matter what is going on. All things can be hard things. They can be challenging things. But in those things, he's at work. Doing what? Not getting us the car we want or uh, helping us get the best grade in the class or whatever. He's conforming us to the image of his son. And when it says those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. It's not saying that he chose some people and he said, okay, I'm choosing you. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. N no. Uh-huh, okay. No. He knows everything. And so he knows who's going to choose him. And those that he, he's known throughout the ages, I know they're going to believe. And his work is to bring us into conformity to his son. That's what the foreknow and the predestination is talking about. It's not that he's made a choice and we don't have anything to do with it. 
which is what predestinators <laughs> argued about all the time. <laughs> so anyway, but when Ron told me what he was going to be sharing about, we know that what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, that he's the one who died. And because of him, we don't have to be afraid. So some years ago, I was surprised to hear that there were people who said, well, it's just as if God pretends that we're righteous. And I thought, oh, wow, what if, what if someone had done some terrible deed, but I wanted to forgive them, and they were going to be sentenced to death? And I said, you know what? I don't want you to die, so I'll send my son to die in your place so you can be free. Would that be pretending? And I was so struck by that, and I wrote this small poem. Some have said, it's as if God pretends that I'm righteous, but this was no pretense. When Jesus stood and heard the accusations, he made no defense. Like a lamb to slaughter led, he did not cry out. And no one understood that he was killed for his people's sin. He made no defense because he was not standing there for himself. He stood there for me. And for my sin, there is no defense. It should have been me, crown of thorns, bloodied head, taking jeers and mocking. But he stood there instead, and I stand free. Thank you, Katie.